Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. started a series last week called Come to Your Senses. Everything is spiritual. Um, if you weren't here, you can catch that one online. We talked about uh, the limitations of our senses, beautiful things, gifts from the Lord, but they have some limitations. And I thought it would be fun to start us out again today with just a few facts you may not know about your senses, all right? Um, this is a good one. Husbands, you can use this as an excuse. A large meal will temporary, temporarily lessen your ability to hear so this afternoon, if you eat a bunch of nachos watching a football game, I didn't hear you. I was too full. All right, there you go. All right, here's a, here's a scary one. 90% of a young child's knowledge is attributed to hearing background conversation. What? You mean they're listening to me in the car? They're listening. Be careful, little lips, what you say, right? 90%, right? All right, and this is the last one I will leave us with. Wearing headphones for just one hour increases the bacteria in your ear by 700 times. All right. So we're going to use those uh, over-the-ear ones instead. Listen, our senses are very, they're a powerful gift from God. Last week, we talked about our sense of hearing and our speaking, and we, just, we talked about how important declarations are. Did you know a declaration out of your mouth demands a response? It doesn't mean a whole lot until it's come out. A declaration actually makes something happen. Here we have the Declaration of Independence set forth by our forefathers. This wasn't just a casual thing. We are declaring this is what we believe. This is, we are declaring this is what is inalienable as a right, as a human being. This is who we are. We declare it, and we sign it, and your declaration have consequences, because something has to happen. Of those, of those founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, five of them were captured and tortured until they were, until they were dead. Twelve of them had their, their homes ransacked and burnt to the ground by the for, British forces. Nine of the others died in the Revolutionary War. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out here, because our declarations mean something. It wasn't just a piece of paper thrown out. And when you declare something, it's not just null and void. There is things that act upon that. Your heart, your life, outside forces begin to act upon that declaration. Faith comes by hearing. I got, listen, this is just review, but it's good. Faith comes by hearing, which means I need to input these, the good declarations so I can hear them so that my faith will increase. And I need to cut out the stupid nonsense talk. In the, in, the, in the nonsense stuff that I say or I listen to about myself and others, my country, this world. and it, It's nonsense because my faith will increase in those negative aspects as well if I let it. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21 says this, from the fruit of a, a person's stomach, uh, excuse me, from a fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of the lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, but th and those who love it will eat its fruit. Essentially what this means when I declare, I, feel, I'm filled, I start to become filled with. If I'm declaring dumb stuff, guess what I'm going to be filled with? 
But if I'm declaring truth, if I'm declaring the good things of the Lord, I will be filled with those things. Faith comes by hearing. I need to declare those things. Um, <laughs> I, I was a youth pastor for a number of years, and, and I had some fun. Um, I, I picked the, the top 10 Billboard songs that were current at the time. This wasn't the 80s, folks. I'm not that old, all right? But I, I, I'd picked the, I pulled the lyrics out for the top 10 songs, and I read them out loud to my students. I wanted to point out that this, what I put in is really important. And it was funny because you'd say, oh, this song by so-and-so. Oh, I love that song. And then as I read it in church, <laughs> shrinking started to happen. And, and oh, uh, I didn't mean I love it. So I thought to help you enjoy that, I wanted to do that today. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but here we go. Little song, number one hit right now in the world, Ring, Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. Well, I love that song. Shh. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't think I could. But uh, I'm going to read you the lyrics and, and, uh, and, and then we'll meditate upon it. Wearing a ring, but I ain't got to be no missus. Bought matching diamonds for six of my friends. <sighs> I'd rather spoil all my friends with my riches, think retail therapy is my new addiction. Whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve them. They say, which one? I say, nah, I want all of them. Happiness is the same price as red bottoms. And then the chorus. I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. Like my new hair, I just bought it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I bought it. All right, we're, we're picking on Ariana Grande. But honestly, if faith comes by hearing, we believe this. If this is what becomes the meditation, and this is what music is powerful, because it, has the, it carries with it this power to make you meditate on it. It sticks with you. It sticks with you. Now imagine if this is the thing that is meditating in your heart. I want it. I got it. Hey, if you ever have problems, like problem can oh, yeah, I need more money. What's going to be your God? And, and listen, I'm not trying to pick on Ariana, but I'm trying to point out the fact that the meditation of a heart creates things around us. It sets my heart. It, it sets my, the, the direction of my life. And so we fill our hearts with good. I'm telling you, meditate on the word. Play songs. And I don't even like that song because it doesn't sound cool. It's Christian. Whatever. <laughs> fill your life with good things. If you don't like it, then just read the word out loud to yourself. Or hire somebody to sit by your bedside and do that. All right. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. Because we're not talking about declarations today. That, that's, that's all good. But I wanted to talk about, about a touch today. Another sense. Um, and I got to go quickly here, but, but today's really not as much about that as it is about sensuality, and you'll see that in a second here. Sensuality is, 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 uh, is being led and directed by my senses, right? What they tell me to do, that's what I do. And, uh, and, and so we're going to get into that. Um, and I want to I preface a couple of things here, okay? Because what I would, I would like to do is set a stool here and simply read the entire book of Romans to you. And it would edify you. I'm telling you, it, blow, it will blow your mind. Okay, We don't have time to read, but I'm going to read way more than I normally do. So I'm going to have to ask you a favor, because we have a temptation as humans. At least maybe this is just me. When somebody starts to read something instead of addressing me, I, I, I find it really easy to check out. But I want you to pull up your big boy pants today, and I want you to lean in. I want you to listen Okay, to the word of God. Okay, we believe that this is the word of God, right? 
And, and I'm tr- I promise you this will change, okay? And so I want, I want to preface it by saying that. Lean in and listen. Listen to what the Word says. And I'm doing this because some of this stuff that I might, I, I'm going to say today, you might think I'm making up or it's my opinion, but you've got to know that this is the Word of God, not me. So we're going to do that. Can you do that with me? All right. Uh, and I also want to say this. Some people are wondering, well, what version does he keep using? Uh, right now, because I try to read a different version during each year. And right now, this year, I'm in the Living Bible because I found a year, year Bible. And, and so if you don't have one of those, that translation will be on the screen for you. You can follow along. Um, and I'm also going to kind of push through and skip some sections. I'm not doing that for content. I'm doing that because we don't have time. And I promise you, you can read the whole thing yourself, and it's gonna, it'll blow your mind. All right, you with me? Here we go. Let's pray to get started. Father, we bow our hearts and our minds and our opinions to the word of God. We confess that your ways are higher than ours. Our thoughts are higher than ours. And we say, change our ways, Father. We lay our opinions and our strong emotions behind on the ground. And Father, we want your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to jump right in in Romans chapter 1. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to try, I'll, tr- I'll try to help us through here, but, uh, but this, is, this is good stuff. And we're going to start with a really lighthearted topic, God's anger. All right. <laughs> I'm standing with it's all good news behind me, so just get ready for this. It says this, Romans chapter 1, we're starting in verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful evil men who push away the truth uh, from them, for the truth about God is known to them instinctively. That's in the word. God has put his knowledge in their hearts since the earliest times. Men have seen the earth and the sky and all God made and have known of his existence and great eternal power so that they will have no excuse when they stand before God at judgment day. All right, press pause. First and foremost, no one in the history of the planet has been without excuse. Nobody's had an excuse is what I mean. God has clearly made it on display. You you can't live in this world and die and and not have been given the opportunity to there's a God and I'm not him. He makes it evident. And so nobody has an excuse. They can say, I I just didn't believe, I didn't accept you because, you know, I I didn't see the evidence of it. He's like, I've displayed it for you. So you are all under my judgment. Let's just go home now. No. All right, 21, here we go. You're like, where's the good news, Pastor? All right, verse 21. Yes, they knew about him, all right, but they wouldn't admit or worship him or even thank him for this daily care. After a while, they began to think up silly ideas of what God was like and what he wanted them to do. The result was that their foolish minds became dark and confused. Claiming themselves to be wise without God, they became utter fools instead. If you ever decide... I'm pretty wise, I got this. And without God in the picture, you are an idiot. You are a fool, is what the scripture says. Anyone who takes God out of the the equation of their life is a fool. And you start to do things like build totem poles and love them, or you build some some, uh, altar here to some weird, weird God and you worship it. It's foolish. And then instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they took wood and stone and made idols for themselves, carving them to look like mere birds and animals and snakes and puny men. We still do this. We may not carve things anymore, but we worship all sorts of nonsense. Am I right? 
Now watch this, because this gets really harsh. So God let them go ahead into every sort of sex sin and do whatever they wanted to. Wow, you really went there, God. <laughs> so because they didn't acknowledge God, what is, what did God, he let them go into any sex sin that they wanted. Wait a minute, this is uncomfortable, Pastor. Let's go back to the hippy-dippy lovey stuff, all right? I'm just reading you what the word is. And why, why is he honing in on sex sin here? Because that is the epitome of sensuality. That's the, that's the epitome. It, there's a lot of other things included, but that's where it leads. If you're your own God, if there's no other God, you're going to fall into, that, into sensuality as your own God, and it's going to be limited to that. Let's keep going. Um, uh, excuse me, they let them go into every sort of sex sin and do whatever they wanted to. Yes, violent, sinful things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they prayed to things God made but wouldn't obey the blessed God who made these things. That is why God let go of them and let them do all of these evil things so that even their women turned against God's natural plan for them and indulged in sex sin with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sex relationships with women, burned with lust for one another. Men doing shameful things with, one, with other men and as a result, getting paid within their own souls for the penalty they so richly deserve. This is, this is, not, this is not fun right now. This isn't supposed to be talked about, right, in church. But we know those, you know, those sexes, those are the worst, right? Paul's not going to let us off the hook that easy. So it was that when they gave God up and would not even acknowledge him, God gave them up to doing everything their evil minds could think of. And here's some things that, that were listed. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin, and greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, lying, bitterness, and gossip. They were backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud braggarts, always thinking of new ways of sinning and continuing, continually being disobedient to their parents. Can you believe that? I love how quiet it is right now. Please note, I'm just reading the Bible to you, okay? This isn't just a rant that I'm coming up with. I'm just reading the word of God. And I also want you to note that disobedient to your parents is also on the same level as sex sin. It's sin. It's depravity. When I give up God in my life, I go into sin. I go into depravity. If I'm my God, I do that. So we don't get to classify other people's sins as worse than mine. All right. They tried to misunderstand, broke their, their promises, and were uh, heartless without pity. They were fully aware of God's death penalty for these crimes, yet they were, went right ahead and did them anyway and encouraged others to do them too. All right. So... Here we are in this position now, and I just want you to understand, you can't read the book of Romans piece by piece. It is a whole book, okay? Paul is setting you up right now, because some of you are like, let's end there and let's go crucify everyone, those sinners. And, and this, is, this is exactly what he's baiting you into right now, because now we're pointing fingers at everybody else and all the other sins that I know are wrong that I don't do. I may gossip. I may talk bad about somebody, but you know what? That other person... He stole something. So, so you're falling into Paul's trap here, which is exactly where you need to be. All right? So Romans 2, 3 through 4. Um, because now we're pointing fingers. Paul says this to us. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and overlook you when you do them too? Don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or, or don't you care? Can't you see that he's been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sin. 
His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Paul's saying, listen, you, plain and simple, you're just as bad. Stop pointing the finger. You think you're going to get away with it and that those people aren't? He's not, he, he's holding off because he's so kind and he wants you to repent and come to him. I told you I got a lot, of, we're, not even, we're not even halfway through here. Romans 3, two, uh, 2 through 4, all right? We've just said all these people are awful. And, and, and here we're, we're really delving down. So it goes like this. As the scriptures say, no one is good, not even one in the world is, all, is innocent. No one has ever really followed God's path or even truly wanted to. Ouch. That one hurts me because I feel like I wanted to, but I know that I've been dep- I'm, a, I'm, I'm depraved. I follow, I've followed into that. Everyone has turned away. All have gone. No one anywhere has kept on doing what is right. No one. Their talk is foul and filthy like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are loaded with lies. Everything they say has in it the sting of poison of deadly snakes. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They are quick to kill, hating anyone who disagrees with them. Does that sound like people we know? Maybe some of us. Wherever they go, they leave misery and trouble behind them, and they have never known what it is to feel secure or enjoy God's blessing. They care nothing about God or what he thinks of them, so judgment of God lies very heavily upon the Jews. He just talked about the Jews because they were given the law. Instead of doing all, uh, uh, for they are responsible to keep God's laws instead of doing all these evil things. Not one of them has any excuse. In fact, all the world stands hushed and guilty before Almighty God. All the world. I could drop a pin and you'd all hear it right now. I should crank the heat up and start talking about hell and damnation now. <laughs> but here we go. Paul has baited you right in. Because he, he, the human nature is like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And you're feeling condemned, some of you. Some of you feel hopeless and condemned at this point. Praise the Lord. Keep on reading. Now don't you see it, he says. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we're not obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. I just, we made it very clear to ourselves here today. But now, say but now. God has shown us a different way. Praise the Lord to heaven, not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way, though not really a new way, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, period. And we we can all be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we've been like. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus, who in his kindness freely takes our sin away. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment of our sins and to end God's anger against... Oh, I didn't think God ever got angry. He gets angry. He invented anger. <laughs> Sin makes him angry. But in Christ Jesus, there's no anger toward me. 
There's none. You're like, oh, they've got to earn a little. No, there's no earning. There's no earning. It's done. <laughs> Don't cheapen the blood of Christ. I'm reading this out of the scripture so you see it, and it's not my opinion. For God sent Jesus Christ to take the punishment of our sins and to end God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair, even though he did not punish those who sinned in former times, for he was looking forward to the time when Christ would come and take away those sins. And now, in these days also, he can receive sinners in the same way because Jesus took away their sins. But isn't this unfair to let God, uh, good, uh, for God to let criminals go free? I mean, they need their judgment, right? And say that they are innocent? No, for he does it on the basis of their trust in Jesus who took away their sin. So who can boast about doing anything to earn our salvation? Nothing at all. Because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on what Christ has done and our faith in him so that we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus and not by the good things we do. Go to my next slide. There is nothing on planet Earth that you can do to earn a more saved position. I can give all that I have to the poor. I can, I can serve my life in a foreign country. I can lay, give all my possessions to, to people who need them more than me. And I am no further in line than the person who says, Jesus, I need you. You both enter into the throne room of heaven. You both enter into the kingdom of God. And he says, not guilty. In fact, he doesn't even remember what the, what the guilt was. You come, he, his blood was poured out. The new covenant, you add your faith to it and just say, I trust you, Father. All of it's in you. You are not guilty. Not guilty. There's no verdict left. There's no wrath to be poured out upon you. There's no judgment left for you. It is completely gone. Jesus took every last bit of it. All those terrible things we listed, not guilty. All I have to do, all you have to do is add your faith to Jesus Christ and that blood atones for it all. It forgives it all. It changes everything. Not guilty. And here's where we get uncomfortable as, as, as church folk. If you haven't been raised in the church, maybe this doesn't make you uncomfortable. But for some of us, we get a little uncomfortable when this grace thing starts talking about because we don't want to give people license to continue in their sin. And let me just make that clear. I don't want to give you license to continue in your sin. Because there is a complete, the, the depravity leads to curse, it leads to awful things. When I live in, in I'm, and I'm living rightly, there's blessing attached to that. My salvation is, is found in the blood of Jesus alone. You'll be blessed for that. But, but, but we who are raised, we can get really uncomfortable because we want the rules to give people so that they can live righteously. Don't we? Am I the only one? Some of you are like, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Romans 4 says this. Because here we are. If you're a church, church guy like me, you're uncomfortable because this grace thing makes you uncomfortable. Because uh, you've, you've seen the depravity in your own life and you don't want to repeat it. 
I, don't, I, want, I want you to be blessed too. But it says this, Romans 4, we're skipping ahead. So if you still claim that God's blessings go to those who are good enough, then you are saying that God's promises to those who have faith are meaningless. And that faith is foolish. But the, act of, the fact of the matter is this. When we try to gain God's blessing and salvation by keeping his laws, we always end up under his anger for we always fail to keep them. The only way we can keep from breaking law is not to have any to break. I don't like that. <laughs> so God's blessings are given to us by faith as a free Gift, lest you try to boast about it. Oh no, he's saying, he's saying we don't have laws. Oh, I got to get out of this church fast. Put your rocks down. Again, Paul is baiting you in to good news. He's baiting you in. The Bible is full of things that will make you tense and uncomfortable. Because in that moment, there's, there's energy to change and to be thrust into good things. All right, so we, we, get in, we, we move on. And, and for time's sake, Romans 6, 16 tells us clearly, we know that, we know that, uh, that the sinful nature is dead. It's, it's been put to death. We ha it has no control over us. In fact, 6, 16 tells us that we can choose our master, whether we obey the zombie sinful nature or obey the, the godly nature, obey, the, obey God. We, it says this, don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin with death or else obedience with acquittal. The one for whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master, and you be his slave. All right, I, I have to move on because it's getting even better. Romans 7. So Paul has just said this. Everybody look at me for a second. Look at me, not at the screen. So Paul has just laid out all of these things. He's saying, there's, you can't, rules won't, won't save you. There's nothing you can do. And you have the power to choose to do the good. You don't have to, you, have, you are a powerful human. I can choose these things. And then he drives me nuts and goes into chapter 7 and confuses the all of us. Again, he's tricking you. He's baiting you into good news. He says this. Remember, he just said, you've got the power to choose not to sin. And then he says this in Romans 7. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, and I, <laughs> what I hate. See, it's like poetry. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking, but I can't help myself because I'm, I, I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger in, than I am, and it makes me do these evil things. Sin is too hard. This is Paul talking, one of the great heroes of the faith. Sin is hard. <laughs> I know that I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sin nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to do, uh, I want to do good. I don't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has its evil grasp. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that is still within me in my mind. And, and, and I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still a slave to sin. 
Life is hard. I know I'm reading a lot. Check yourself. Let's get this going. Life is hard. He's bringing you into something here. This isn't the end of the story. He's like, I don't understand what I do. I am powerful to not sin, but, but I keep, oh it's, oh, it's so hard. Then he gets to this. So now, is there now, uh, excuse me, so you see how it is. My new life tells me to do right. This is my new life. But the old nature still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God. <laughs> it has been done. By Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Paul has just laid out a whole dichotomy. I keep wanting to sin. Who can save me? It's already been done. I imagine he chuckled when he wrote that out there. Who's going to save me? Because he's probably talked to people. We've all talked to people like, I can't, I don't understand what I do. It's so hard. Can somebody save me? It has been done. Jesus Christ. He did it. <laughs> There's no slaves. And so watch, watch this. I got to finish. So now, this is the next verse, right? It's, it's been done. So now. There is no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving spirit, and this power is mine through Christ Jesus. He has freed me from the, the, the vicious circle that Paul just described of death. We aren't saved from sin's deep grasp by knowing the commandments of God. Because we can't, and we don't keep them. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours is sinful and destroyed sin's control over us by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So now we can obey God's laws if we follow after the Holy Spirit and no longer obey the old evil nature within us. That's dizzying, mind-blowing. And I didn't even read most of it. Some things you have to understand. I'm looking at a bunch of people who have walked in depravity. Every last one of us. And if we end there, we've missed the gospel. There's no good news in that. There's no good news in me telling you you're depraved. The good news comes. <laughs> like, I don't I understand. I keep going back. It's been accomplished. It has been finished. You're not going to earn the forgiveness of that sin. You just add your faith to the blood of Jesus and you are made the righteousness of God. And there's no now condemnation for you. You have to understand that's a very profound thing. There's no condemnation. In real estate terms, condemnation is the power the government has to take your land from you. When the government, when we, were, when we set up our country, the, the, the United States we have, has eminent domain over every piece of land. Now they've deeded it out to private properties. But if they decide that this, this land needs to be for public use or we're going to build a freeway, they can condemn it and take the property. They have to pay me some money for it, but they don't have to have my permission. It's called condemnation. They have eminent domain. Did you know that God still has eminent domain? Everything 
in your life, every part of you. But in Christ Jesus, there is never a time where he says, condemned, I'm taking it back. You will never, he will never condemn you. He will never condemn you. He will never condemn you in Christ Jesus, folks. That's the grace of God. I've been given a tremendous gift. That's what Jesus did on the cross for me. His blood covered over it all. I could list more and more sins, but it wouldn't be helpful. You need to understand that my yes has to be bigger than my no. How do I not sin? Do I create my list and I say, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do this? Or do I say, it, it made it clear, how do, we not, how do we follow that? We follow the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying yes to? The more you say yes to him and say, what are you doing, Father? I love you. Oh, this is great. The more, the more I, I input that, this stuff starts to disappear because there is an absolute benefit to righteous living. Absolutely. You've all seen where the road to depravity ends. Poverty, death, and destruction. And the road, the road and righteousness, but I don't receive my righteousness by trying not to. I receive my righteousness by saying, yes, Jesus. I receive the blood of Jesus. I receive your grace. Now here's the deal. It is so much easier when I stub my toe and say the F-bomb. I don't do that. I'm a pastor, okay? Don't you judge me. It is so much easier to spend the next 45 minutes to two days to a week condemning myself, trying to earn back the forgiveness for the F-bomb I dropped yesterday. That's our nature. And the enemy tries to, he stands there and he accuses you. You said the F-bomb, you said the F-bomb, you said the F-bomb, I said the F-bomb. But the more I, I'm not going to say the F-bomb, I'm going to say it again. Because that's the road to depravity. That's, that's, that's stupidity. That's foolishness. And God has given us a clear and free way called grace where I say, oh, I don't, uh, you said the F-bomb. All right, I received the blood of Jesus over the F-bomb. I receive it, and guess what? Now, I don't lose any ground here because I said I'm, I'm back into the righteousness. I'm fully, fully forgiven. I'm fully transformed. I'm right back into his graces. I don't have to come like a cowering slave into his presence. I come in as his son. The blood of Jesus, it covers over a multitude of sins. Have you sinned a multitude of times? You're in good company because Jesus Christ died for you. His blood covers it. And so it's not a matter, ah, it's a matter of, oh, yeah. I'm telling you, every one of you in this room, and you, you all, you've all slipped up, and that voice of the enemy and your own guilty conscience continues to try to condemn you and get you right back down in the slums. Just tell it to shut up and plead the blood of Jesus. My faith, the blood of Jesus, righteousness, not guilty. I stand holy before a holy God because the blood of Jesus made that happen. I am the righteousness of God. I am the son. Oh, it's good news. I need my ushers to come forward because we are celebrating this gift through taking communion together this morning where we take the cup and we, we say this is Christ's blood. That's what we just talked about. It covers over. His body broken. His body was punished. Absolutely punished because mine was deserved, deserved the punishment. So please, 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 if you walked in here today feeling guilty about anything, just tell that voice to shut up now. Because it's just trying to keep you in that muck. And if it can't, it, it, you might stop doing it, but you're going to continue to feel bad about it. 
And that's just as much of sin because what you're saying is the blood of Jesus wasn't good enough for it. So I'm asking you to let that go. Let the freedom of God wash over you today because only in, that's where you're gonna find the power of prayer when I can come before God in that way. Not in guilt and shame when I come before him as a son. There's a boldness there. We're gonna take this all together. The ushers are gonna hand this out. While they do, we'll sing a little bit and then we'll take this all together. So Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much <laughs> for this indescribable gift of grace and the blood of Jesus. Even if Paul tried to describe it, <laughs> it's hard to really get a grasp on it. So we come to for you and we remember the sacrifice that made a new covenant for, for all of us to have eternal life. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest
Two things. I've got really good news for you. If you're here today and you have never accepted Christ's sacrifice to cover over your sins, you can do it right this second. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to bow at the altar. All of those things are fine. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I plead the blood over my life. And guess what happens? Because you've just added your faith to the blood of Jesus. You are transformed. You are made new. You are 100% forgiven. Not 50% until you get your act together. 100% the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so before we take communion today, I would invite you to do that right where you're at. Also, those who've walked in today, maybe you've stumbled a bit. Maybe you've been feeling condemned and you've been feeling guilty. Maybe it's something super small that you did. Oh, I, I didn't put my cart away at the grocery store. I'm so filthy. We do that to ourselves, don't we? I plead the blood of Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God in that. And that's what we're going to do today. I'd like everyone to stand with me as we take this together. We're doing this simple act. We are remembering what Christ did. This is the good news. This is the heart and soul of your life. And so, Father, we come before you and we hold this bread in our hands, the body of Christ Jesus who never sinned. All of the punishment that we deserve was beaten on that body instead of mine. And Jesus, we remember that right now. And we thank you for it. It doesn't make sense to our senses. But your truth made it so. And so we receive this in remembering what you did. Let's take the bread together. And now we hold the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. We call the new covenant, the new way, the only way. It's only through the shedding of blood that forgiveness of sins is possible. And Jesus, this blood covers over every depravity. It covers over every guilt. It covers over every shame. It covers over the sins that were done to us. We plead it and we thank you for it. We let it cover over every part of our lives and we rest in the blood of Jesus shed for me. And I receive the gift of eternal life. So Jesus, we thank you for this blood and we remember it in the name of Jesus. Let's take this together. Taste and see that he is good. It doesn't get any better than this, folks. You walk out of here, I'm telling you, your heads better be held high. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are the walking representation of what the church looks like. You are a walking representation of Jesus Christ here. Now go, do it full of joy. That's why he said, it's all good news. Go. Don't hang your head about it. Smile, because he whom has been forgiven much loves much. We've got a lot of reasons to be lovers of Jesus. Am I right? So go spread that. Listen, I want to remind you of two things before you pack up your, your suitcases and head out. Number one, 
If, you, if you're new here, for the, maybe, you've been, maybe you've been attending for a few months or whatever, but you just want to know a little bit more about who we are, get to know our pastoral staff, we promise we're only going to take like 10 minutes. Uh, we're doing our thing called the Backstage Pass. And there'll be people out in the foyer with some signs. If you follow those signs, we'll be going back to a Sunday school room. There'll be some refreshments. And we just want to quickly give you, give you a quick overview of who Wacom New Life is and invite you to be a part of, of what God's doing in our family here. Uh, and so please, look for these signs. If you're here today and you just need prayer for any reason at all, and you just want to spend a little more time, uh, we're going to have a prayer team that will come up here. Feel free to enjoy it. In fact, prayer team, if you'll come now uh, so that uh, everybody can see where you are. And with that, I say God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Go Rams. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit us at wacomnewlifeassembly.org.